Hi, hey, hello everybody, FL teacher here bringing you Crystal Palace nil, Spurs 4. Interestingly here with Spurs getting additional goal threat for the first time in a very long while, conveniently before a double game week in the immediate horizon. We look at the traditional Spurs assets, Kane, Son and whatnot, while trying to figure out whether this 3-4-3 involving a young winger is legit. At the same time, we will look at how Palace quote-unquote lost control in the second half through the three-goal salvo really in that 15-minute opening period, trying to figure out whether their 4-2-3-1 is truly flawed or whether they're just unlucky. If Analytics FC has something that they are absolutely proud of, it is Palace's home form versus their away. The profiles between both are interestingly stark as the XG consider, the XG produce and whatnot are just night and day really compared to how they travel on the road. Now, in this particular case at home 4-2-3-1 without a red card involved for once, really saw Joel Ward played at left back with Mitchell suspended. But more crucially is that up front, Jordan Ayew's brief stint as the number 9 continue instead of Wilfred Zaha. So this is where Crystal Palace run into a little bit of a paradox because with Zaha operating as a number 9 previously, they did not have the need for additional striker presence. Simply because number 1, Ebre Eze from deep can actually orchestrate play with much more space instead of Zaha sucking up much of the ball. Secondly, it also allowed Oli's, sorry, it allowed Jordan Ayu, who was previously on the right side, to tucked into central midfield, allowing the likes of their right back or even some of their central midfielders as well as Olis to pull out wide and overload those right-hand side spaces. Jordan Ayu playing as a number 9 basically turned this overloading occurrence a default plan A. So Zaha would maintain width on the left side, receiving the ball whenever he can. But majority of the ball would actually drift to the right side, where Jordan Ayu would either receive the ball and do his cut and shoot thing, or he would wait for Olis to bomb down the right side while Ebre Eze basically holds his position in central midfield. For once, Palace exhibit a flaw that they've yet been able to solve. The narrow formation here puts a lot more cohesion into their front three, with Saha in the first half in particular finding Ayu and Olis a lot on the right side. However, they failed to deal with Spurs' wingbacks, and the issue was that it was far too late before the fullbacks engaged them in their half, while at the same time, Ebreze and Schlup basically failed to manage the space between being narrow in attack and wide in defense. This is something which we call a teething problem with this new formation, and it's just a matter of how long they take to adjust really before they deliver results. For FPL purposes though, we at least know that attackers that hit them from wide is very likely to profit, especially in the second half where teams are relatively fresh coming out of the tunnel and where teams can pull a mini nuanced surprise on Palace before Palace adjusts. Lastly, it has to be said that Palace, traditionally known for being more defensive in terms of their substitutes, now bring on multiple strikers as their potential plan B. However, with Mateta and Eduard penalty area presences traditionally, it just meant that they 
conceded control in midfield, relying on long balls to hit teams on the counter-attack, and that was kind of counterintuitive, unfortunately, against Spurs. Tottenham Hotspur. Finally, we see Son and Kane deliver in the same match through their 3-4-3. Now, this time round, the slight nuance here was that without Yves Bissouma, who was suspended, Oliver Skip, the traditional industrial central midfielder that we've not seen since the 90s, took to the field. And so, as a result, the front three also became extremely narrow in order to receive support from the young central midfielder. Now, being in narrow formation doesn't exactly suit the skill sets of Son and Brian Hill, who play on the right side. Because both dribblers here require a lot of space to utilize their cut and sprint style of dribbling, really. So the question always came down to how they create space for each other. The first movement, really, in theory, is the tandem movement where somebody would drop and somebody would bomb forward. This time round, Son and Hill took turns dropping deep in order to facilitate Harry Kane moving forward. So the typical passage of play, especially with Kane having the playmaker tendency, is that number one, Kane would drop deep to receive the ball. At the same time, one of Son or Hill will actually drop deep to receive the ball from Kane and then dribble themselves into the space. This allows Kane time to actually bomb into the box while the other forward would drop short. So picture this, when Spurs receive the ball, Kane passes the ball to Son out wide, for example, and then Kane bombs into the box himself. He will be then joined by one of the wingbacks who actually bombed from far deeper positions. That was a typical passage of play throughout the game as they bomb down the left side, cross for the right, and Kane will be seen alongside Doherty in the box. Ironically, this has some resemblance to the Wolves setup that got promoted under <laughs> Nuno. So really, Doherty represents a very valuable asset that we've not seen in a very long while. However, it has to be said that the second half saw a shift where instead of the left creating for the right, the right created a lot more for the left, especially through counter-attacks where, for some weird reason, the pacey players are on the left side. But when they move into the final third, passage of plays tends to lean towards the right side where they will cross for the left. I'm not saying here that even Perisic is a legitimate aerial target in the box, but we know that this shift allows their triangle of influence in the final third, being Kane, Doherty, and Hill, to actually choose whether they want to assist players who run from deep or whether they want to shoot themselves. This was exactly the case for Kane's second goal, shot between the second half uh, in the half space between the Palace defenders, as well as Doherty's goal, who basically had all the time in the world to shoot. It's very rare that a capitulation involves a side doing well rather than an inferior side doing worse. In this particular case, Spurs took full advantage of the fact that Palace played riskier the further they fell behind. But really, we still have to give credit to Spurs backup players, especially such as Skip and Brian Hill here for stepping up when needed. Playing on a counter-attack is something that we know will usually increase the lead after they actually take it. But in this particular case, really, 
Spurs were full value taking a 1-0 lead here while punishing their opponents later on. So it comes down to whether they repeat the process in the upcoming double game week. Now it has to be said that Kane will remain a gem and I'm pretty sure the masses will flock for him. So the real question is whether you double up on Kane with Son or Doherty. Now, in this particular case, we're not targeting clean sheets for FPL purposes. So really, it just comes down to how many goals you predict Spurs will score on the counter, especially in a North London dummy that will be extremely frantic as well as, you know, a Man City side that will be dominate possession by default. This is FPL teacher speaking, not really caring about Crystal Palace, but really more about the double header with Chelsea Man City up next to begin.